This is Hallway Chats, where we meet people who use WordPress. We ask questions, and our guests share their stories, ideas, and perspectives. And now the conversation begins. This is episode 73. Hallway Chats. I'm Liam Dempsey. And I'm Tara Clays. Today we're joined by Sal Ferrarello. Sal is a WordPress developer who has contributed to WordPress Core, Genesis, and is the author of the Bootstrap Genesis theme. Along with his volunteer work in the WordPress community, Sal has spoken on a variety of topics at many WordCamps. Welcome, Sal. Glad to have you here today. I'm happy to be here. Thanks for having me. Uh, You're most welcome, Sal. And speaking of speaking at WordCamps, we're at a WordCamp this weekend. We're at WordCamp Philly. Uh, we're all gathered around the same mic and in person, which is a, a lovely treat for us. Uh, but with that, tell us a little bit more about yourself. Uh, I am a WordPress developer. I live in Reading, PA with my wife and my two boys. Uh, Reading appears on the Monopoly board, though it is often pr- mispronounced as the Reading Railroad, but we are the Reading Railroad. Um, so now when you play Monopoly, I hope you will pronounce the railroad correctly, please. I've always pronounced it Reading. Somehow I knew that. Yeah, I, you're ahead of the curve, Tara. Yes. So when we're reading it on the board, we should be reading Reading. That's true. you're saying. Right. (laughs) Yes. But if we've already done it, would we have read Reading? Nope, it will always be. But it does get confusing. Thank you for clarifying. So um, we're here at WordCamp Philly, and uh, why don't we start by sharing what you talked about here this weekend. Uh, This weekend, I got to do a talk on an introduction to post-meta, so post-meta being the extra fields in WordPress where you store data. Uh, And have you spoken on that before? I did. I presented that uh, topic very similarly last year at WordCamp DC. Uh, It's a a neat talk I really enjoy sharing with developers because uh, when you first get into it, it's not always intuitive the way the information is stored there. And, And once you get past it, then it's powerful and used a lot. Yeah, great. So in a, in a simple way, talk about the type of data that might be stored in post-meta, like the types of how would that work out? I know we're not a tech show, so we don't want to get into the ins and outs, but what's a, a pretty simple use case? Sure. Well, I guess, so to step back, I, I think the term is actually a little confusing and it always has been for me, uh, because when I hear post-meta, my brain automatically goes to post as in after, like post-apocalyptic being after the apocalypse. Uh, but when we talk about post-meta, we're talking about post as in uh, blog post or WordPress post. And then meta, meta information is information about something, right? Like meta information about me would right. be uh, my height, my age. So the idea is that you have this information about posts that gets stored somewhere. And where that comes up a lot is with different plugins. Um, for example, if you're running an SEO plugin and you're adding in, uh, additional information, uh, a meta description there, that would get stored in post meta. Uh, oftentimes, if you have add-ons that, that bring something extra posts, maybe a field that wasn't there previously, something like that. Yeah, I, I've been learning about SEO, and it comes up a lot there. I learned I got a better understanding of what Meta does by studying SEO and how Google reads the code in the page, right? So it's an important thing to understand, not just from a development structure of the website, but also from a marketing standpoint, too. It's important, right? Right. So in that case, you've got the the meta information that's being output. So we were really talking about in my talk sort of how WordPress stores meta information behind the scenes, which in many cases then used to output meta information on the back end. Right. So there's kind of two different metas going on there. Cool. Well, that's that's the depth of our tech for today. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> so, <laughs> we're, we're moving let's, on. Let's talk. Let's back up and talk about how you got started in WordPress and in development. 
So I've always loved programming. Uh, when I was a child, we got a Commodore 64, and I used to write some basic programs on that. Um, and, and then I kind of stalled on that for a while. Uh, it was something fun that I had done. But I guess when I was in junior high, I had a good friend who, who needed help generating a bunch of, uh, it was actually, he was generating website markup for uh, uh, one of his family sites, and, and it was very repetitive, and he wanted some help doing that. And at that point, QBasic was a, a basic programming language on the PC, and, and I ended up diving into that and helping him crank that out. Uh, and that became a real love, something I really had a lot of fun doing. So I spent a lot of time programming that. Uh, when I went to college, I actually uh, majored in computer science. And, and then when I got out, I sort of found the web and started playing around with it. Um, I, I took kind of a, a roundabout path. Um, but when I got back into programming again, uh, I got a job at a local agency helping them build websites. And initially they were not doing WordPress, uh, but the developer I was working under eventually moved us to WordPress and things really took off from there. I'd say that's when things really uh, locked in and, and really started working well. Uh, and I, I felt good about what we were doing and, and kind of been running with it ever since. So I know you're active in the WordPress community. How, tell me a little, tell us a little bit about your, um, when that started and, and how you got started with the community. Absolutely. Um, so I'd say I really uh, got in deepest with the community in about 2014, which is when I left the agency job that I had uh, and I started my own company. I do development under the name Iron Code Studio. Uh, and at that time, I really wanted to look at marketing myself more. And I felt that getting involved with the community and putting out content to help people was a great way to, to market myself and learn and better myself. Um, and, and help others who are doing the same kind of thing. And it's been this great cycle for me. I feel I, it's really helped drive a lot of my business in what I'm doing, but at the same time, it's something that's so rewarding for me, it, working with other people, um, and, it, and it really drives me to make myself better at the same time. It's kind of a, a win all around. That's a really interesting perspective, and I think it's one that a lot of us who've been in the WordPress community consider, go back and forth on, and kind of you know, debate. The balance between giving to the community for the community's sake, but also reaping some kind of reward on it. Talk to me about how you maintain kind of your own mental perspective. What's your philosophy on that? And, and how do you walk the balance between giving in a way that you find rewarding as giving versus marketing, which ultimately tries to lead towards some kind of, you know, your ability to pay your rent and mortgage and food bills and all like. Right. Absolutely. Um, <clears throat> I think that I, I probably don't think about the, the marketing aspect as much as I should. Um, uh, a lot of it is, is personal gratification, probably in, in almost a, a selfish way. I, I enjoy doing that. Growing up, I was involved with theater, and, and I enjoy being on stage and performing. And so speaking at a word camp, for me, scratches an itch of, of being up there and presenting. Um, and so, so there's a lot of that behind it when I'm doing it. But, but along with that, then it, it, there's this added benefit of I get to help people, and that uh, from a marketing standpoint, it does help me. Uh, I don't, I, I think I'm very fortunate that I'm doing things I enjoy that happen to market me well, uh, yeah. rather than uh, really focusing on saying, hey, I'm gonna market me. And, and at some point, I may have to get smarter about that, but 
it's working for you. And so far, so good. Yeah. Well, that's a good way for us to talk about success, which is you know one of our favorite things to talk about, as it turns out, and how how you define success, and that that may segue into that a little bit because it sounds like you are achieving. We talk about the societal view of success being money and being rich and famous, and we have never had anybody define it that way, really. But but certainly being able to pay your bills is part of of being successful and uh but it sounds like you're you're merging that with something that you like so i'll stop talking and you can tell us no no it's a great question and i always enjoy hearing that question um from your other guests and and it's interesting it's such a big question when i look at it so i find that it's easier for me uh much as in programming when i've got something big i do much better when i focus on one small piece of it so when i think of success i like to think about uh small success Right, and so, so for me, on a on a small scale, I'd say it's the the light bulb moment, that that understanding, both for myself, right, when I when I figure something out and it finally clicks, and I say, oh wow, th- that makes sense now, um, but also when I can share that moment with other people. Uh, yesterday, uh, when I presented on the introduction to to post meta, there was one particular audience member who I just happened to to spot. Uh, and, and this person, I could just, I could see on their face this this click of oh, post meta makes sense. I see what's going on with this table, and and that's 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 phenomenal for me. I, I really I love that. Um, and you know, it's it's interesting to think about why I love that, right? To get introspective there, why do I love that? And I think I love to be helping other people, but I think there's also this this selfish feeling of, of wizard power where I'm changing the world and I'm. I'm affecting your perspective and, and helping you understand that. So, so that light bulb moment, I think, is 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 a success for yeah. me. Um, so, and that's that's a good motivation behind teaching and speaking and doing those things. How does that transition into your personal life? Do you have children? I think and I do. I've got uh, two boys, seven and ten, and. And so it's it's fun when you can share something with them and help them get that that aha moment. Um, of course, I, I think that as a as a father, sometimes I'm a tough person to, to sell that to them, right? Parents, or at least my boys, are very independent in their thought, yeah. and and don't always look to me for it. But uh, but it's it's so much fun to watch them come to their own discoveries. The the other night, one of my boys said to me, "Well, the blankets on my bed don't don't make me warm." They just hold the warmth in from my body, which which is which is such a small thing, right? But uh, but he had such joy in telling me that, and and I love that. I love that idea that we're we're thinking about things and, and understanding more. That's a great thing that you've remarked on. Yeah, I hope you, you write that down or something because kids say those little magical things sometimes, and you they grow up so quickly that it's fleeting. But I mean, it's great for you as a parent to notice those little light bulb moments in your kids and to make note of them. So that's great. Are any of your, either of your boys interested in tech? Do you think are they too young to to do that? So we really, we really try and dial back uh, our boys. We we do thirty minutes of screen time a day, and and so so there's a balance there with technology and how much we're doing it. Um, we try and get them thinking about technology and doing things without actually getting them on technology as much. Uh, there was a great game that we played with them called Robot Turtles, and Robot Turtles is kind of a board game programming. You, you set up uh, the pieces and then they have to create a program for it to, to run to get the goal that they want. So that's been a really neat thing in giving our cha- uh, boys a chance to, to get this programming idea 
Uh, we play lots of other games too that, that go along with those kind of ideas. So I, I'm hoping that we're, we're setting the foundation. Um, I think it's also tricky because of the, the dad factor, right? Dad does all this computer stuff, so clearly that, that's not cool. <laughs> yeah. I've talked to a lot of people who have that. You, know, you think their children would be super interested in it because their parents do it, and it's the opposite. So, yeah. And I think also I had a conversation with someone yesterday about their children's interest in games, and, like, Fortnite is the big game, apparently, right? Um, and that kids think that, I know you <laughs> like it. You're going to do the dance for me at some point. <laughs> I have practiced it. <laughs> or there are multiple. Um, but the the translation of kids who like to play games but are not interested in tech or who think that they want to go into computer science because they think that it's games and, and how you direct your children um, with your experience and their passions in games. I think there's a hard... I don't know what I'm trying to say, but I think there's a hard... Um, discovery process for kids these days because they do like, they are in front of technology so much that maybe they're not going to go into technology like your generation, my generation did because it was newer. Yeah, yeah, it's interesting. I, I think that there are a lot of um, families I, th- I think I've seen where you we have children growing up and they spend so much time with technology and then we have sort of this assumption that based on this they're going to they're going to use technology and engage with it and program and do these things and it's like well that's a, that's a different jump. Yeah. Um, that you, you have to make that conscious decision to do. Um, so I think as a society, we could probably do better with, with introducing students to programming and, and encouraging them that way. There's some neat stuff out there now, I think, with, with games where they're allowing children to use programming to interact with the games, right. right, and to extend them. And I think there's a big opportunity there. So hopefully one day my boys will. Yeah, Brace is a really interesting issue, right, because... I have no data, but just thinking about this, that our, our children are growing up always with a screen in front of them. And you know, they didn't start on Pong, right, where it was ding, ding. Right. They have these amazing graphics and amazing user interfaces. And if the program isn't intuitive, that program doesn't get the kind of exposure bandwidth, traffic, and usage rates that... You know, maybe what we dealt with growing up because we had no other option. You played that game or you used that program because that's the one that was available. And then the disconnect of, well, if you want to make that game, actually you open up basically a computer typewriter and type a bunch of words and numbers and letters and characters and it doesn't look like a cool video game <laughs> at all and the user interface is not some slick button. And then there's different parts of making all that game, but to the conversation around I want to make games... You know, the biggest part of the game is all the code that makes it run really fast. And, and you know, like something like Fortnite where it's online constantly and it's always being updated and it's got millions and millions of users. Is, that's programming. You know, the graphics are important, but they don't happen if, the, if yeah. the code isn't there. I wonder about that. We'll have to keep an eye on that. Yeah, for sure, for sure. We're getting into the meta of uh, <laughs> tech education. <laughs> well, I think there's an opportunity, though, though that, that I think parallels WordPress. When I look at WordPress, I see lots of people who have a WordPress site, and then they want to do that little bit extra. Mm-hmm. They want to tweak it. They want to add that plug-in. And I think we're seeing more games now that have sort of that ability that you can interact with them with code and maybe create your own plug-in. And, and hopefully that can work as that same gateway that I feel like we see so many uh, WordPress programmers take. Yeah, I, th- I think that I think that's true. I mean, 
Fortnite doesn't have that yet, and we're just using it, so I'm staying there. But the ability that it's not just a shooter game, it's a shooter game where you have to use building skills as well. And the kind of the real-time interaction of building, and so it's not just get across the bridge, it's do I get across the bridge or do I make the decision to build a little fort and hide in the fort and shoot or, or jump or make myself a wall so that I can run to the bridge, and it's really... And that's what I like about it as a video game. It's not necessarily the great graphics. At some point, great graphics are a dime a dozen these days. But it's the interaction and the... Yeah, it's cool. Anyway, I'm getting us totally sidetracked. No, it's okay. I think it's hard to separate, too, like the fun use of technology versus the work of it. And, and for me, like I, I like it's fun for me to build websites. I don't need to play games on my computer. Or <laughs> but. Speaking of fun and work and games and enjoying things, Sal, tell us a little bit about your, your business, your practice. What do you, you said you're a developer, you work for yourself. What does that mean? What does that look like Monday through Friday-ish for you? So I work out of my home office. Uh, I'm the only member of my company. And I have clients all over the place. Uh, and almost exclusively my interaction with them is online. Um, and even mostly text uh, rather than phone calls. I, I tend to try and steer my clients that way because I find that it helps keep us focused and moving. Yeah. Um, you just mean written versus they're, they're not pinging your, your phone, right? Right. Texting. Yes, usually. Yes. <laughs> Emails yes, right. and ticket notices and right. that kind of thing. Yes. Actually, most of the time uh, I try and steer them into some kind of issue tracker, which gives us then a history that we work off of. Mm. Um, and so that's where we, we interact the most. Um, sometimes Slack or something like that. Are you mostly uh, working with agencies that know how to use those tools or your clients are one-off? Are they like small businesses or a combination? So it's kind of an interesting uh, mix right now. Uh, I've got some larger businesses. Overall, I'd say I work with pretty tech-savvy clients. Right. Um, usually if you're if you're not comfortable sort of running your own WordPress site already, then I'm I'm not the best person to help you along with that traditionally. It's usually when you have a, a deeper need. It's kind of like, ah, I'd like it to do this. I, I sort of have some idea about this, but I really need some help executing. And often that's um, something like an agency or something like that. Uh, but sometimes it's individual uh, users who are maintaining sites. Uh, I've got a couple of uh, schools that I help out mm -hmm. where they're doing that. And so they pull me in for a little work here and there. Um, so uh, a lot of different contract things that come yeah. in. How was the transition for you to working for yourself? It was an interesting transition. I was very fortunate. So at the agency I was at, uh, I was the lead developer, and I had a number of developers underneath me. And when I told them I was leaving, I offered to come back part-time on a contract basis. And, and they took me up on that for a little while, which was uh, nice, because I had that sort of fixed work set there. And at the same time, I could start growing my other clients. So it made for a really nice transition. Yeah. And how long did that last? Was that three months, six months? Was it a year? Uh, that was probably about six months, I'd okay. say. So yes. yeah, nice, nice little makes your cash flow immediate uh, needs a little easier, and, and it gave them the surety of all the intellectual knowledge and leader leadership hasn't just left the building; it's going to come back two days a week or something, and we can transition to the new teams to make sure that they know. Right. It was nice having that runway and helping the other developers, you know, uh, grow into that role that they were taking on. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Yeah, so one of the questions that we, we dig into is advice, and not so much advice that we want to give, but advice that we've been given or received or come across and successfully implemented in our lives. So with that, what has been the most valuable piece of advice that you've ever received and implemented? So I think the most powerful piece of advice I've gotten is that the person who cares the least 
has the most power. And sometimes that's called the principle of least interest. And it sounds very Machiavellian mm-hmm. when, when I say it out loud like that. Um, and, and I think it is absolutely a principle that can be abused, um, certainly in interpersonal relationships and things like that. Where I, I find it really has value in my life is in business and, and being able to, to walk away from a project or, or some kind of uh, work that's offered that doesn't fit me right. And so I, I've been fortunate that I grew up um, uh, very, uh, very cheaply with money. Uh, my, my father is is quite stingy with money, and, I, and I've inherited that. Uh, but but next to him, I, I look like I'm, uh, you know, spending all kinds of money. So anyway, I, I don't like to spend a lot of money. I, I tend to keep my cash flow, um, you know, reserved there, which which then works out that um, I'm more comfortable saying no to projects. And, and letting them go by if they're not a good fit for me. And so the idea that when I'm, I'm talking to someone about possibly working with them, that I'm okay letting this project go um, really puts me in a very comfortable spot in the conversation. And, and, I, and I'm really, I, I hope that I'm helping them as well, right, to give them the option to go somewhere else, and I'm happy to you know, point them in a direction and hopefully give them some ideas that will help, uh, but to not have that feeling of uh, I really need to chase this project because I need to land this one in order to, to make this happen and so that, that mindset has been very helpful. Um, and I, I guess I had that even before I got started. So even before I had a lot of clients sort of coming in with this idea and, and, and having this idea that I was comfortable saying no helped a lot, even when it was a little scary at times. Overall, I think it's, yeah. it's been better. So you came to that on your own. It wasn't that you had a bad experience and you decided from then on you would say no. This was just a, a mentality that you've had based on this advice that you heard. Sure. Well, uh, working at the agency, yeah. when, when working in, in an agency like that, I didn't have control over the projects that we said yes on or no on. Right. Um, it, it sort of came up and then came to us and it was time for the development here, team right. to make the rubber meet the road. Um, and the team I worked with was great and they would you know rise to the occasion and make things happen. Uh, but as an individual, I, I, I get to say, okay, you know, maybe this isn't something that I want to tackle here. Um, or, or if it is, yeah, this is going to take a, a bunch of time to really get up to speed on. And, and then I'm comfortable putting a large price tag on this. Mm-hmm. And maybe you can go somewhere else and get it cheaper. And, and, and I'm fine with that conversation with a client, right? There, there may be somebody out there who's really focused on this and does it all the time. Um, I'm happy to work with you, but it's going to take a little bit more. You know, this is what we're looking at. Yeah. Yeah. So it's a mindset of detachment, isn't it? I think that's probably a good point. Yes. Yes. Being detached from it, not um, not feeling that everything needs to be something that I'm I'm digging into and grabbing onto. Right. It's a holistic. The project. You know, at one point, yes, the money has to be there, but maybe for the right cause, the right organization, the right charity that you want to support, the money doesn't have to be there. It's a holistic thing, right? It's it's got to. You know, I want to be. Personally satisfied, professionally satisfied, an engaging challenge, right? A realistic timetable. What else is going in on our private lives at the time? You know, are the children okay? Is the family in a good spot? And so this kind of detachment of I'll take that which is best value all around yeah. enables you to not focus just on the money. I'm like, well, that would be a nice deck. But that's not the only consideration, right? Well, and having the, fr- the frugality that you mentioned that you were raised with, too. Maybe you have, I'm going to assume then, that you have a, a good handle on what your financial situation is. So you know you're not you know, desperate to take any dollar that comes your way. That you have you know, a good handle on what your situation is. And that gives you the confidence to be able to say no or yes. I know when you're starting out in business, at least for me, 
I didn't say no to anybody because I really needed that income. So that's, you know, people have those decisions to make and depending on where you are in your financial lifetime, I guess that affects that. Absolutely. And, I, and I'd love to say, you know, that I, I have it all figured out and everything, but certainly when I was getting started, too, I had those projects that I did yeah. say yes to yeah, that yeah. really, you know, in retrospect, right. wasn't smart. Yeah. Um, it, it wasn't the best fit. Um, and so I guess hopefully I, I've become better at this detachment sure. over time. It's nice to get to that but, point in your business where you can do that. Yes. I think it also takes time as a business owner, even the small businesses that we have, is what do you know, you want to do development, I want to do design and marketing, Tara mm-hmm. wants to make websites and but what does that mean, right? What what kind of projects do I actually like and what what differentiates me from anybody else or my business from somebody else? And sometimes it just takes some time of getting out there and say, okay, yeah, we'll take that project on. And you kind of get through it like, oh, my gosh, we are never doing that project ever yes. again. Now I know that's not the kind of project I like. Mm-hmm. And after a period of time, we know that that we have better ability to discern what's a good fit and what isn't. And then we yeah. can maintain that sense of detachment because we, we can discern it a little bit Identify more clearly. red flags. Yes. You talk a lot about red yes. flags that you learn how to spot now after you know dealing with a few tricky situations or tricky clients. That but I think it's also identifying green flags, right? Yeah, you know, sure. like maybe there's little red flags, but that green flag is proportionally mm-hmm. a lot bigger. So if we, if we can address those in conversation around the red flags, hey, prospective client... Here are some red flags. How do we want to deal with that? But commu- to your point, communication and make sure everybody understands where we're going. Yeah. What What's your favorite thing to do? Your favorite thing about what you do, let's say. I know you talk about the, the light bulb moments and helping people, but in terms of your day-to-day, what's, what's your favorite thing to do? Sure. Oh, so my favorite thing to do to, um, in... In my personal life, my favorite thing to well, in in my personal (laughs) life, my favorite thing to do is uh, family game nights. I have a a large family in the area, and uh, and I grew up with a lot of relatives, aunts, uncles, cousins, uh, grandparents, and so about once a month we would get together and and all sit around the table and play games and eat snacks and uh, and it's a great memory I have and I love it and and it's it's amazing now having those same events and watching how excited my boys get for those events and, and how much fun they are. So, so you're bringing cousins over and, and the like and just having a big old... Yes, yes. Oh. Actually, my boys don't uh, they don't have any cousins, so, so most of the group is older, okay. uh, yeah. adults and things like that. But even when I was uh, growing up, it, it was interesting. The, the numbers were certainly skewed towards adults rather than kids, sure. um, which I felt was really valuable for me, actually. I really yeah. enjoyed... Um, interacting with adults like that and I think it helped me a lot in life uh, and I think it's great for my boys uh, for those family events and, and having them and, and playing games I think is a great way to spend time together and what's your yeah, current favorite so game what, what do you what do you so my current favorite game is well so it so right now actually just recently we've started getting our boys into uh, cooperative board games so there's okay. some great games out there uh, that I've been introduced to where you play as a team and hopefully you, you win or lose as a team, uh, which is really neat. There's a, a great one that our family got started with called Forbidden Island. Okay. Um, and and there's a couple of different ones. Pandemic is the latest uh, cooperative game that we're playing like that that I really enjoy. Uh, often at family... scary. <laughs> uh, it's a scary premise, yes. Uh, great game. Often with our family, we have larger groups who are all playing together. So a game like that is for maybe four or five players. Um, but with a larger group, uh, often we play cards or something like yeah. that. Those are those are great games for when we have the whole yeah, the whole crew. Cards are fun. 
We had uh, Jeff Large was on our podcast, and he was he used to have a game, didn't he? he used to have a game thing going on board games. He talked a lot about board. He games. Had, he had a whole collection. wall of board yeah, games in the, in the on the call behind yeah. him. Yeah. I don't yeah, know. He, yeah, I think he had a a website about board games or something. Anyway, that reminds me of nice. our second game conversation on the show. That's great. That says a lot about your kids and your family that they enjoy being in a room full of adults playing games that are not screens. <laughs> <laughs> well, they love their screens too. Yeah. Right. Um, but, but yes. Great. But it's that's nice. Neat. That's good. Thanks for sharing that. Yeah. No. Very cool. Very cool. Sal, we've we've got a few minutes left here, so I'm going to circle sure. it circle it back to the WordPress community. Mm-hmm. And you've talked a lot about the joy that you get in sharing with others. You've talked a lot about the joy that you get in presenting. You've talked about the different ways that you help. And, and you know, you and I have known each other probably since 2014 when you first started getting involved locally because, you know, I'm in suburban Philly as well and Reading's, from a cosmic sense, is practically suburban Philly. <laughs> yes. Um, It takes all different kinds of people in the WordPress community to make it move forward. For somebody that is new to a WordPress community, maybe WordCamp Philly this weekend is their first one. What's your, what would be a, hey, give this a try, have a think about this, welcome to the community, and what would you, what would you share with them? Right, so sort of uh, how you get started. I, when I think about that, I think local meetups are a, a great opportunity for that. And, and thank you for the Philly Burbs one that you run. Indeed, that was one of the first. That's not where I was uh, going, but uh, thank you. One we'll of the first the events, yes, uh, that, I, that I started uh, getting into and meeting people. Uh, I also find that Twitter, um, for all the negative things that Twitter has, uh, I, I really appreci- uh, appreciate Twitter in, in connecting me and, and letting me follow a lot of people in the WordPress community. It's been a real gateway to, to learning who these people are and reading articles they write and, and growing in knowledge from them. Um, so that's a great thing to do. And then one of the tail things that came out of that then is the opportunity to contribute back, um, particularly to, to plugins, right? People in the community will often put out things to help other people. Um, one of the little things that I think is a great way to help is when you're reading articles by people that you uh, enjoy and like and you catch a typo, to, to shoot them a, a message and just give them a heads up on a typo. I, I've made connections with a number of people in the community just because I, I did that a bunch. Um, and, and it's important to, to you know, phrase your typo very politely when you're giving a heads up, um, but it's nice to send that message. It says, hey, I'm really enjoying this. Just a heads up, I make plenty of typos myself. This phrase here, I think you have a typo in it. Um, and, and in that small way, you're helping improve that, that article yeah. that other people in the community are reading. So, and then beyond that, right, if you contribute to the code uh, on GitHub, if you can do a pull request and help them out with something, but that's sort of next level, right? Um, Yeah. Yeah, that's a good answer. Thank you. Thank you for sharing it. Yeah. I think you've made a correction on one of mine ones. It's a matter of fact that you say that, so I appreciate it. And and look, now here I am, so thank you. I'm still speaking to you. I I, I am certain I make far more typos than I have ever pointed out to anyone, so so my typo count, I'm definitely in the lead. No, well, we're all human. I think we are out of time, speaking of human and all that. So thanks for joining us today, Sal. Can you tell everyone where they can find you? Uh, thank you very much for having me. Uh, I am SalCode, S-A-L-C-O-D-E, uh, many places, including salcode.com, uh, on Twitter as SalCode, on GitHub as SalCode. Um, 
Sal Code. All right. Excellent, Sal. Thanks for joining us. Thanks for joining us. <laughs> Thank you so much for having me. All right. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Thanks for listening to the show. We sure hope you enjoyed it as much as we did. If you like what we're doing here, meeting new people in our WordPress community, we invite you to tell others about it. We're on iTunes and at hallwaychats.com. Better yet, ask your WordPress friends and colleagues to join us on the show. Encourage them to complete the Beyond the Show form on our site to tell us about themselves.